Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. And let me welcome David K. Johnston. I had a uh, a listener of mine and a gentleman that I um, served on the Red Cross uh, Board of Governors send me your latest op-ed piece. I think it's your latest. Why Americans can't have nice things. And I don't know if the staff told you, but I read the whole piece on air. Um, I just thought you hit every, every uh, uh, cylinder on this one, David. And thanks for coming on. Um, talk to me about it. What was your thinking? Well, I was watching uh, the coverage of our departure from Kabul and on TV on various different channels, and I was just appalled at what I was watching because it was completely ahistorical. It didn't uh, – the most of the journalists covering it were not alive when we left Saigon. Uh, they didn't have any historical perspective, and they were completely missing <clears throat> the issue of how – the war in Afghanistan, which was intended to be a very brief incursion to go after uh, Osama bin Laden, Mullah Omar, and a handful of other people behind 9-11, morphed into this endless war. And then I got to thinking about all the things we could have bought instead of buying a war. Um, you know, we, we, we would have had $2.4 trillion we could have spent on uh, hospitals, roads, schools, uh, health care. And the costs of this war will eventually, according to uh, Brown University, exceed $6 trillion. The last bill from this war may well not be paid until the edge of or the dawn of the 23rd century. And I say that because the last Civil War pension was paid out last year. And um, at the same time, I've been writing a lot about how the leaders of the Chinese government, who do awful things to their own people but are thinking about the future, are investing in the future. So while we spent 20 years on a war in Afghanistan, they built more than half the high-speed rail in the world – uh, I've been to China a number of times to lecture, and the highways in China put to shame the Audubon in Germany, which is vastly better than the American interstate highways. They are building a society for a very prosperous future, and we're squandering our our treasure. Um, and I just felt that I, I needed to write a piece that would lay out Joe, all of this and what it means and the choices we are making when we, you know, if people go around saying the government did this or that, at DC Report, the news organization I run, which is free and there's no ads, just public service, um, we always talk about our government because we elect our leaders and we emphasize act like an owner, not a renter or a squatter, because you own our government. What did we <clears throat> get out of a 20-year war in Afghanistan, if anything? Well, nothing. Um, 
at the end. And that's the real tragedy of this, because we abandoned the Powell Doctrine. When Colin Powell was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he articulated a very smart policy. Do not get into combat unless it is a direct threat to national security. Well, Osama bin Laden and Mullah Omar certainly qualify for that after 9-11. Build a worldwide support for what you're going to do. Well, we had that after 9-11. Everybody was sympathetic to us. Even, you know, even Cuba was sympathetic to us after 9-11. And then have a very defined mission that you fulfill with overwhelming force. So if we had sent in a massive force, surrounded the bottom of the Tora Bora Mountains, we would have captured or killed Osama bin Laden, who was hiding there. Instead, and there's video you can see on the Internet of this, <clears throat> we flew, um, I think it was 17 cargo planes filled with cash, billions of dollars of cash. We gave it to Afghan uh, warlords and local leaders who promised they were going to get Osama bin Laden for us. And, of course, they just took our money and, and laughed. And you, a lot of people forget this, but in 2004, when he was running for re-election, George W. Bush said he didn't care anymore about finding Osama bin Laden, who he had declared he was going to get dead or alive. It wasn't until Barack Obama became president that the military was told, get this guy. And they, and they did. And did so brilliantly. Um, you know, we had every right under thousands of years of international law to do what Osama bin Laden, what I'm sorry, what Barack Obama had us do to Osama bin Laden. But we lost sight of, of why we went there. And, and you cannot, as I wrote in the piece, you cannot force democracy on people at the point of a rifle. Couldn't do it in Cuba. Couldn't do it in Vietnam. I can't think couldn't, of couldn't do it in Haiti. You couldn't I mean, do it in Haiti. I mean, imagine what would have right. happened if the yeah. revolution by slaves in Haiti 200 years ago had not been quashed, and how much better off Haiti would be today. And we tried a democracy in Haiti, and it just utterly failed. You have to be old enough to remember the various events that happened in the last 40 years, but yeah. but it just utterly failed because people were not part of a culture that supported this notion of democracy, which is not, after all, the only way to run a government. We have lots of dictatorial regimes around the world. Yeah. Now, let me ask about, because I just finished uh, the audio book for uh, Promised Land, and uh, listening to what Obama had to go through in deciding to or not to send more troops. Um presidents of both parties, I think, made mistakes in sending more troops. Was this the military's fault? Uh, and, did, and, and is that what they were, what they were following? And what made George, I mean, I'm sorry, Joe Biden different this time around? Well, when Barack Obama decided uh, that he would make one last serious attempt in Afghanistan, and we sent 100,000 more troops there. Joe Biden opposed that. Yes, he did. Yeah. And so uh, uh, I'm not at all surprised that uh, Biden, who you know served on the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee for 30 years, who during the war in Bosnia, uh, what I call Bosnia schizophrenia, uh, uh, went and confronted the genocidal leader 
there and uh, met it with him in secret and basically said, we're, we're going to arrest you eventually, and you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison if you don't stop this mass murder of people because you don't like their religion. Uh, it, Biden clearly thinks we shouldn't be uh, trying to police the rest of the world the way we've been doing it. And that's part of a theme I've written a lot about. Uh, you know, why do we need 13 at least 12 and potentially 13 aircraft carriers, which each cost $13 billion plus about 20 support ships that cost tens of billions more. Um, We need to rethink our place in the world. And so Obama, I think, did the same thing, Joe, that LBJ did. LBJ's advisor said we can get out of Vietnam or we can up our presence in Vietnam, and he decided to up his presence in Vietnam. And he would probably be regarded as, as the greatest president, certainly since uh, uh, the year 1900, if he had made the other decision. And Biden had the, the fortitude to realize he, no matter what he did, he would be criticized, but that there was no point in staying. And remember John Kerry's testimony um, as a young man after he had served quite valiantly as a naval officer in Vietnam had invented a new military tactic that saved large numbers, we don't know how many, obviously, but large numbers of lives of American sailors. Um, He said, who is going to ask the last man to die for a war that serves no purpose? And and I think that's just, we need to, we really need to really think about that. And one of the reasons, by the way, the Afghan war could keep going is we don't have the draft. If Congress had declared a draft after 9-11, you can be sure there would have been college students left and right out in the streets demanding that it be a very short-term incursion with a focused mission and not a 20-year war. And that that draft is um, the third rail in politics. I can't think of anyone... um, particularly on the right and otherwise, that would uh, propose a draft. I do remember having, uh, David, uh, a conversation with um, from New York, from Harlem. Yes, uh, the, the congressman who I was thinking that <clears throat> yeah, in New York is in his district, and I can't remember his name, well, uh, who uh, wanted Rangel. draft. Rangel was the one Rangel, I remember. thank you. And, yes, and no, Congress the at the person. time... <clears throat> At the time, Congressman Rangel was proposing a no-holds-barred draft. There would be no exemptions. Everybody. And um, that went nowhere. Um, right. it, it went absolutely nowhere. All right, final well, question. Joe, uh, go, go ahead. Yes, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, well, Joe, a, th- a couple of things. The idea of the all-volunteer military started with a professor at the University of Rochester, and I live in Rochester. I interviewed him before he died about this, and he laid out all these reasons that this was the morally right thing to do, that only people who volunteer for the risk of combat should be involved in this, which is just utter nonsense. I mean, that's the Donald Trump uh, comment about the Marines killed in France. You know, well, what did they get out of it? Uh, that is totally disrespectful of our country. Um, And having an entirely volunteer military has distorted our society, as other things do. 
you know, in 1900, 40% of Americans were tied to the farm. Everybody understood the needs of the farm community. Today, 1% are. Well, 1% of Americans are in the military, adult Americans. And most people don't understand at all uh, what the military is about or its capabilities. If you go back to 1953, 54, 70% of the graduating class at Princeton, about as elite a college as you can get to, were drafted. And we had a, uh, if we had a universal draft, there would be a huge, I believe, there would be a huge break on military <laughs> yeah. adventurism by our political leaders. And, yeah. you know, not to be cynical, but there is one other thing to think about, and that is the stocks of Lockheed and other big military contractors over right. the last 20 years have outperformed the market significantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the part of the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about. And Joe, um, let me, little, little known fact that my friend Tim Weiner found by going through Eisenhower's archives, the original draft Eisenhower apparently typed or else dictated to someone, and they typed it for him, said the military congressional industrial complex, uh, because there is a military war plant in every single congressional single, district in this every country. Di- right, yeah. And every that's why you can't get, uh, you know, uh, legislation uh, related because they yeah. they all have a vested interest. So but, and, and, and Eisenhower was persuaded to take Congress out of there that it would be unnecessarily um, hmm. uh, controversial. That's a terrible thing that he didn't do that. Um, yeah, or or so. deal with both. So one maybe there's a, a second op-ed piece about. Uh, why we can't have nice things. Um, so where where do we go with with this? Clearly, you are suggesting we need to be extremely cautious about conflicts, other future conflicts. It's costing us. Um, so what do what what where? How, I guess what I'm trying to say: How do you get the country, its citizens? our government in a mindset to be able to have the nice things that you're talking about because um you did say this china's not out fighting wars right. you know right. they, they, i mean they're not out fighting wars uh, go, go ahead please so so joe there's i think there's two aspects to this the first one is <clears throat> we need to begin having a discussion about why we are spending almost a trillion dollars a year on our military. And if, if we're going to have a, a large military, is there a smarter way to spend money? Uh, the Russians, uh, the Iranians, the North Koreans, by harassing us in cyberspace, have shown that it's much cheaper to engage in digital uh, warfare, uh, you know, disrupting the electric grid, things like that, than to engage in physical warfare. But more importantly, um, I think that it is crucial that we have a serious discussion about how our country is falling apart all around us. When I was a young man, I'm 72, when I was a young man in Southern California living on an orange ranch, there were were no potholes. I I never saw a pothole until I was in my mid-20s and I went to Chicago. 
uh, now they're all over, even California. We're not putting enough money into education, into um, public transportation, which is one of the most important structural factors in keeping poor people poor. Uh, Urban, white, brown, uh, black people, doesn't matter. Not having adequate transportation and subsidizing moving jobs out to the suburbs with taxpayer money has been a major factor in creating uh, inequality and lack of jobs and the social pathologies that follow for people who, no matter what they do, can't get a a decent amount of income, what's needed to uh, at least have a decent life. And so we have in China, in the last 20 years, they've spent $30 trillion on infrastructure. We are having a fight in Congress about whether we can afford $1 trillion, which the Republicans have joined for what's called uh, steel and concrete infrastructure, roads and bridges sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then another $3 trillion on human infrastructure. And the Republicans are absolutely against this. They will submarine the whole country. It, we, should be, we should be investing in people. We should be providing the things that make for a healthy, viable society. And, and Joe, one of the things I think about when I do this is when I was at the L.A. Times in the 70s and 80s, there was an article that ran buried deep in the paper. Yeah, I just have uh, one minute. Yeah. Okay. Um, it showed over 40 years, 1940 to 1980, spending per capita on youth programs after school, weekends, and summers declining. And the other was arrests of juveniles of the same age, which rose. Idle hands of the devil's workshop, Joe, is not a new idea. We should be putting a lot of money into young people and keeping them occupied in ways that will give them a future, not saying, oh, no, we can't afford after school. Oh, midnight basketball, that's evil. We've got to stop that nonsense. All right. I'll look forward to your next essay. I thought this one was right on target. I'll close where I uh, began. I was, I was so impressed with it. I read the whole thing on the air. Yeah, uh, that's and, very nice of you, Joe. Thank you. No, I, and I usually don't do that. I, I highlight, but I, I did not. I wanted people to hear the essence of, uh, of what you are saying because you are 100% right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. You can listen to yours truly, Madison the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.